Hello. Good evening, everyone. I uh, want to say that this is still our regular show, but uh, today we're going to have a bit of a, a somber broadcast. We're going to start off with a video of a woman of a tragedy that has been made known nationally around the country, but happens every day. And I'm going to go ahead and play the video, and Tennille is going to read the subtitles as the video is playing, if, if you will, please. Yep. Okay. Of course. And I'm going to put my mic over the speaker because I'm not sure how else to get clean audio on this, but hopefully it comes through pretty good. This video was posted to Facebook on December 4th, 2020. Here at IU North. Dr. Susan Moore, then 52, tested positive for COVID 19 on November 29th and was admitted to the hospital. Dr. Bannock, B A N N E C. This is Dr. Moore's personal account of her treatment because of HIPAA. The hospital cannot comment. Yes, I am. Dr. Moore pleaded with the doctor to give her Resmadir, an antiviral, as well as a treatment for immense pain. My neck hurts so bad. I was crushed. It made me feel like I was a drug addict. Dr. Bannock moved to send Dr. Moore home. She did not feel ready. Staff agreed to the do a CT, CT scan of her neck and A little bit into my lungs. lungs, and you could see new pulmonary infiltrates, new uh, lymphadenopathy all throughout my neck. And all of a sudden, yes, we'll treat your pain. You have to show proof that you have something wrong with you. I put forward and I maintain. If I was white, I wouldn't have to go through that. Dr. Moore received pain medication and a new doctor. She improved slightly, but felt her care was still this is lacking. Black people get killed when you send them home and they don't know how to fight for themselves. I had to talk to somebody, maybe the media, somebody, to let people know how I'm being treated up in this place. The hospital discharged her on December 7th, though she didn't feel ready. Home for less than 12 hours, her temperature spiked and blood pressure plummeted. She was rushed to a different hospital. They began treatment for bacteria pneumonia as well as COVID-19 pneumonia. She was intubated on December 10th, but soon became 100% reliable on ventilator to breathe. Dr. Moore died two days later. Today we're going to be having... And uh, this was a, uh, a video on YouTube and uh, we will give you guys the link in the show notes and there is also a, a link to offer um, donations if you'd like to her family um, I, I, I first want to start off by saying that this is um, is a tragedy what happened to this person uh, they obviously had a bad experience with a hospital but uh, Tennille, um wants to address possibly the underlying causes to why she was treated so poorly. That perhaps there was more to it than just 
uh, a lack of resources due to COVID or overcrowding in the hospital due to COVID or the fact that before COVID, we had an opioid epidemic where people were coming to hospitals addicted to painkillers, pretending to um, have symptoms of conditions that required those painkillers just to get more opioids. And so a lot of doctors, especially in low-income areas, began to be suspicious of patients that would come in complaining of pain, uh, thinking that they were just trying to get uh, uh, op opioids. Um, so, Tanil, why don't you start off addressing what could be the underlying issues in America uh, with within regards to this uh, circumstance? Well, I mean, Dr. Moore seems pretty clear in stating that she feels if she had been a white person, her treatment would have been different. She said it, but I want she to make sure that. that's that's what people understand. What that, are that's what I believe. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that that is her experience. I validate her experience, and I think that someone who's experienced racial discrimination knows what it feels like. Right. And I'm not the type of person to say I need proof that this was actually racial discrimination. If that is your experience, then I I come from a place of where I want to validate that person and their experience. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I suppose. So what I'm trying to get at is, do you actually believe she experienced racism or you do believe that? She believes she experienced racism. I believe she experienced racism. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because I know that it happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that it's happened to me. Um, I mean, I did have a Of course it happened to you. You think it happened to me? Like Racism? Yeah. No, I mean, racism in general has happened to me, but has it happened to me in a hospital? Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's happened to me in a hospital. I wasn't watching her care closely enough. <laughs> Plus, they'd wheel you off into another room, and then I'd have to come back hours later. Who, who knows? What I, I didn't get to see about. how every doctor and nurse treated you yeah. in comparison to other patients. I, I mean, I felt like I was treated well. I mean, there was that situation with my doctor you know, before the surgery, you know what I had talked about before in a previous episode. Um, and that doctor was a black woman. So I didn't, I mean, it's possible she could have been racist against me, but I really didn't think that she was. I think she really felt like that medically it was important for me to go one route, even though that was not the route that I wanted, you know, so um, I don't feel like I've experienced racism in, in the medical industry, but I do think that it is possible that it's happened to, to many other uh, people of color, mm. for sure. Okay. And I mean, uh, the statistics show that, actually. So, I, so I've done some research, and um, in 2015, the U.S. Department of, Human, of Health and Human Services um, was able to notice like a lot of racial disparity. And that is that black males and females have a lower average life expectancy. 
right. than white people. Mm-hmm. They have higher blood pressure. Right. They have a higher strain on their mental health. Mm-hmm. 20% of black adults don't have access to health care, which I'm sure contributes to that lower life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was a 2016 study that they did with medical students, mostly white, actually all white medical students, and they believed that blacks have a higher pain tolerance. And so if white medical doctors, if they believe, oh, they can handle this pain, oh, it's not that big of a deal, then they're not going to pay that much attention to it than they would a white person. Does that make sense? Mm, I, I've studied anthropology um, and genetically uh, tracked the various races on Earth. And from what I've heard, um, a lot of their inner tissues are thicker, allowing them to naturally have higher blood pressure and that it's totally normal. Um, I have heard they have higher pain tolerance and they are genetically predisposed to live not as long as other races. You know, you have Asians are genetically predisposed to live the longest, um, followed by whites. And then, and of course, uh, blacks have some of them. I don't know the truth about these things, but I think that if you're so focused on the person's race in that way that it can cloud your judgment and giving them adequate health care. It's merely scientific fact. So you're going to, if you were a white doctor, so if if you were a white doctor Mm -hmm. and you saw a black person in pain, you're going to think to yourself, oh, they can handle pain more, so I'm not going to give them pain medication because they're going to be able to handle that, right? No, because I don't know how much pain they're in. Okay. But if I'm in a hospital and I'm a doctor and I know the hospital only has so many painkillers or is trying to stop the opioid addiction epidemic, where if I give him prescription level painkillers, something that he could possibly become addicted to could be a problem for him beyond that day he's in the hospital. Okay, but you're going to give white people as many drugs as they want, though. No, no, I don't believe in special treatment for white people. Okay, so that's the thing, is that they're giving special treatment to white people. That is the issue. If you're going to say no pain pills for any, it should be no pain pills for anybody, not just this group, because you feel like they don't need it. Okay. Because, quote unquote, they can handle it. I don't know if I believe that, because I haven't seen proof of that. Well, I mean, I think the statistics show that more black people are dying versus white people. And What are you talking about? What statistics? The statistics that I'm going over right now. None of them you've told me have anything to do uh, it, it prove that black people are dying more than white people. Well, I just said that black that they that there's a lower life expectancy. Right. They're genetically predisposed to no. not live as long. I don't think so. That's not true. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not true, Eric. Yeah. No, it's not. It's been proven genetically. They've profiled no. uh, uh, black people's genetics, and they found that they naturally do not live as long. That is not true. If If a person, I think that... 
I think that life expectancy is more than genetics. A lot of it comes down to how well you're eating and taking care of yourself. And if you have the resources and the education and the capability to do that, then you can live a full life. And the truth of the matter is, is that black people there are, there are some black people, not all of them, but there are some that don't have the capability, don't have the resources, and don't have the knowledge, while white people do. Okay. I mean, of course, there well, are white people who then don't. Another but way I'm to look saying, at it is, is that perhaps comparing. poverty in gangs is influencing the national statistical average sure of a black is. person's life expectancy. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But it says, you know, blacks are... 1.26 times more likely to die in an emergency hospital in 20 and that you know and that was in 2020 more likely to die than who than whites okay 1.6 1.26 so when you say one one means equal so you have to go with the 0.26 as the actual increase, like 26%. So you're saying that black people are 26% more likely to die in a hospital than whites. And you're saying that's due to racism. In emergency hospitals, they they can dis they can dismiss what they see in front of them they you right. know a person can be dealing with you know he, you know just like dr moore said that she was having shortness of breath and they were like no you're not and she's barely able to talk clearly she's having shortness of breath I, from the video it was not clear to me that she had shortness of breath you okay, could well, not hear her breathing between uh words Okay, well, she seemed to be speaking just fine, although her voice was rather quiet, but that could have been due to weakness, not short of breath. I believe when her When you're short experience. of breath, you are struggling to breathe every other <laughs> sentence. You know, you're trying to breathe. She didn't seem like she was trying to breathe at all. Okay, well, that that's your interpretation of it. I, to me, it seemed like she was having difficulty breathing, just talking. I've watched this video multiple times, and I've watched it closely try to figure out where is the racism where did they go wrong you know and she spoke about her moment of she came in and said my neck's in pain and they wouldn't give her painkillers right and then they did a ct scan of her neck and chest and they saw and a lot saw of issues the new inflammation in her lungs and um the mucus forming up in her lungs and the irritation in her in her in her um airway and whatnot her and lungs. so they gave her painkillers i I've had an experience on a couple of occasions where I told doctors I was in the hospital with pain and the nurse just laughed at me and basically said, hey, you're not going to get painkillers. Like they, people come in all the times in this and that and that. Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't, it says you got to show medical proof that you need the painkillers to get the pain medication. And I'm a white guy and yeah. This is the attitude I'm getting from doctors, from nurses. But you were also in a situation and where I they said, couldn't they couldn't give you anything. They couldn't give you I'm anything. I'm not talking about that situation. Oh, okay. I'm talking about other situations where I came into emergency centers or a hospital and I was in pain and they said I couldn't get anything. I, I w it was easier for me to get painkillers at Rite Aid than it was at a hospital. 
And I said, why? That's ridiculous. People come to the hospital because they're in pain. They told me about the opioid issue, and they told me that because of that, hospitals have a policy where they will not give out painkillers unless you show medical proof that you need it. And it's so interesting because when I came out of my surgery, I didn't ask for any pain medication. Right. I had a nurse who really loved me. And she offered it to me. Well, the doctors did just cut you up, and you were yeah. just waking up from being cut up. Yeah. So they knew you were going to be in pain later. But they I didn't knew actually. That you weren't making up a reason to get painkillers. Well, that's true, but I didn't really have that much pain. I, I mean, I felt like maybe like a level three on a scale of ten, like after a few hours, and she gave me some Tylenol, and that was fine. Yeah, but yeah. was it like prescription strength? Like it was just over the counter Tylenol. See, <laughs> and it was fine. It it worked fine for me. And that's the other thing is, I, I think yeah. there are some painkillers that are not opioid that they're allowed to give out without right. a, a prescription per se, yeah. or without um without evidence of pain. And uh, you know, this woman is talking about you know she wanted a particular painkiller, which is an opioid. Which they're not going to give out without evidence. They found evidence, and then they gave it to her. Well, she also wanted an antiviral, and they refused to give that to her. Well, because there was no evidence she actually had COVID Well, she, It wasn't for COVID. She, I I don't, I guess it was, she knew that something was going on. I'm not a medical specialist or a medical doctor. The antiviral that she was asking for is one specifically for used for the treatment of COVID. And at the time on December 4th, when she came into the hospital, uh, that particular antibody was an antiviral, was in very short supply. They were only giving it out to severe COVID patients. And she was considered probably a mild case because she didn't have any trouble breathing when first came in. Because all she had was inflammation of the throat. And the fact they had her there till December 7th. That's three days under observation. And under three days of observation, if they see that all that's happening to her, she's getting better. Yeah, they're going to send her home. When she didn't start having problems until three days after the 7th, which was the 10th, when she went to that other hospital. But they said as soon as she got home, like that very night, she had issues. Like her high blood pressure like went down. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up going to a different hospital. No, if you notice, the subtitle said that she did not go to the other hospital till the 10th. She was home for three days. I, didn't, I don't remember exactly when she went to the hospital, but mm-hmm. I know that she had issues as soon as she got home. She did mention that. And so, and they also said Which that she strange. was- Which is strange. If she had she, issues as soon as she got home, why didn't she go to the hospital immediately? Why did she wait three days before going back to the hospital? I don't know. Okay. And we don't have that information. There's, I mean, a, there's a lot of information- Was she so offended by the hospital that, that she's like, There's oh, a I'm lot of information that you like, want to know- that we don't have access to. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I have difficulty with this video is that there are so many unknowns. We don't know the policy of the hospital. We don't know the race of the doctor. We don't know the uh, the supply levels of the hospital, whether they were uh, uh, stifed or rationing certain prescription drugs due to COVID. Remember, this was December 4th, 2020. This is in the middle of the COVID epidemic before we had the vaccines when the hospitals were all super crowded 
I mean, it was right, if you remember, there was this huge surge of, of COVID patients right after Thanksgiving, yeah. which would have been around that same time. Well, this is a hospital in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it doesn't Indiana matter where was, it is because this has been an international epidemic and it's I'm, affected I'm just every, every corner of the world. So this is a difficult video, but I think one of the reasons it's created traction nationally is because this woman is a doctor. And that's something we have to remember. She understands hospital protocol. So when she says, this wouldn't happen if I was white, Mm -hmm. then she clearly understands that these doctors are mistreating her due to something else besides hospital policy. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. I can't believe that. I mean, I haven't received a phone call in like six (laughs) months. And they, then right we're recording a podcast. Yeah. Bring. They decide to call during right during our podcast yeah, recording. Like, it's what crazy. What the heck is that? That's so crazy. Anyway, we'll edit that out. No, no, we won't. This is it. That's why I started after the ring. <laughs> I know. I'm just joking. Okay, whatever. So what I'm saying is I think the reason why it's got national traction is because she's a doctor. She understands hospital policy. Protocol, she's a black doctor. You know, and mm-hmm. so they i don't know maybe they looked at her funny or rudely or maybe maybe there was like some subtle rudeness going on that she didn't mention mm. that sort of made her think oh you're going to be that kind of doctor you know you know the racist mm. doctor and so when when they dis- but the thing of it is that sort of illegitimizes it is the thing about her saying well i said i had pain and they wouldn't give me painkillers if that's your most obvious lead, yes, that would make someone who doesn't understand hospital protocol think that you're being mistreated. But you as a doctor, knowing hospital protocol, would know that they're not going to give you painkillers without evidence due to the opioid epidemic. So why would you say that unless you're trying to deceive your audience? You know, you're trying to turn something into evidence that actually isn't evidence. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that I think that she was suffering from real physical pain. Right. And as she spoke, I could feel her emotional pain as well. And so is there a bit of a victim, you know, mentality there? Mm-hmm. Most likely. And sometimes people can get into that mode, but that doesn't mean that she wasn't dealing with racial discrimination. I believe she was a victim of hospital policy and of COVID stressful, lack of resources, lack of of hospital beds. You know, it's sort of like you've been doing pretty well for three days from the fourth to the seventh. And so we're going to send you home. Mm. You know, it's un. yeah, there, there are a lot of knowns and it's unclear if whether this hospital was really trying to do their best to take care of her or if they just saw her as just another number in the, in the hospital. Right. And I, I mean, I, I know that some hospitals do that. They look at people as numbers, not as people. And it's like, I need to get you in, do whatever you need help, da-da-da-da, then get you out so I can get more people in. But what I've seen is they look at all people as just another number and not just blacks. I don't know. And about so that's that. why it's so hard to tell if there's racism here because you've got hospital policy pushing against her. You've got COVID epidemic pushing against her. And you've got the common, 
you know, symptom of, of doctors and nurses of looking at any patient as just another number, someone we got to satisfy and then get out of our way to get to the next one. Now, the thing is, is that like with black women, especially pregnant black women, they are three to four times more likely to die from a pregnancy related cause Mm -hmm. in the united states right you know and she wasn't pregnant no she's not pregnant but i'm just saying that i think in general i think that black women are on the lower end of of things when it comes to priorities and they put other people before them Hmm. unfortunately that's a tricky one i haven't studied the cases of of pregnancies and and death complications in relation to m- different kinds of races, so I don't know how to comment on that. Um, I just think with this video, there's enough unknowns that I don't think we can place judgment of calling it an evidence of racism. Well, I I hear that that's your opinion, but like I said in the beginning, I completely validate her experience and i support her experience and i i would love to you know give my sincerest condolences to her family and and i hope that that they were able to to manage this tragedy because it really is a tragedy whether it was racial discrimination or it wasn't thousands of people die every year lots of people die to um what i would call medical neglect where Someone, the, the, the doctors involved did not look closely enough at their case to actually save their life. They glossed over it. They thought, here's what we need to do. Let's not, let's not worry about the rest of it and move on. And if the person ends up dead a week later, it's hard to say if it's their fault. Because you got to remember, she went to a different hospital after the fact, uh, after the 10th. And she had left that other hospital on the seventh. So, was it was it a case of where they could have saved her by giving her the antiviral on the fourth instead of not giving it to her? Would that have made? Would that have saved her life? We will never know. know. We will never know. I mean, she she looked like she was in her fifties or sixties. Yeah, I think you they know, said she was, I think, 56 it, it, or something. She, it sounded, since they did end up giving her a COVID antiviral that te- or, or treated her for COVID pneumonia, that tells us that it is likely she had COVID. And a lot of people in their 60s die of COVID, mm-hmm. especially during the month of December when the vaccine wasn't out. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really anything they could do about it. They could make him comfortable. They can give him painkillers. They can give him decongestants. She was on a ventilator. Yeah. Yeah. And it got her. Unfortunately, sometimes when you get on a ventilator, like that's, you know. COVID fills the lungs with fluid. Are you going to survive or not? It paralyzes the lungs into a hard sponge to the point where it can no longer transfer oxygen into the bloodstream. And then you suffocate and die. Mm -hmm. And. Millions of people have already died from this thing in only a matter of a year or so. And we're just now getting around to being able to do something about it. So the fact that she died of COVID, I don't think there's a good possibility that even if the hospital had given her full attention, there's there's a good chance they would not have been able to save her. 
Mm. Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about poverty and gangs and I mean, that's definitely a part of it. I think the fact that, you know, the the type of food that we have, like are the worst kind of food that doesn't help, you know, your health, like, you know, cheeseburgers and all that grease and everything like that's offered to the poor. That's cheap and easy to eat. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to blame the fast food industry for killing people in poverty, you can. I mean, but that's a whole nother issue. There's a link. There's a link there, but I don't know if we can blame them for that. Everybody has their own choices. I mean, there are ways that you can consciously eat healthy while being poor, but you have to go to farmer's markets. You have to grow your own vegetables. It's difficult. And it's difficult. And I don't see a lot of black people growing gardens. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing or what, but I don't see a lot of that. Well, you know... Uh, and with our ancestors, we spent a lot of time on those plantations. Working in the fields. And, uh, kinda, we're like, we're done. We're done with that. Pick, <laughs> picking in the hot sun. Because that's what you got to do to stay healthy. You got to pick, pick them stuff in the hot sun. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know why they picked blacks to work in the fields? Because they have that natural melanoma that protects them from sunburn. Well, I think it's also because it was free labor. Yes, but they could have gone to Asia <laughs> and gotten free labor. Well, but instead they went to Africa. I believe Asians did do some labor as well and, and other. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the word cash comes from China. And so while the Chinese did work, they insisted on working for cash. Right, yeah. Well, we are getting to the end of our time, and uh, I wanted to give you guys a quote, since all of this was really about um, black experience, which is pretty cool. I just want to address one other thing before we go. Keep in mind that in the city of Chicago alone, 3,000 black people die every year from gang violence. Mm-hmm. In Chicago alone, we have more death in Chicago than in Iraq for right. our citizens. And that's right. something to think about. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the bl- blacks being killed by gangs, I think, is is a huge problem in this country that we seem to avoid and address. I thought Barack Obama, being a politician from Chicago, would have dealt with it, but he didn't. He just ignored it through his entire eight years as president. Why? I have no idea. He's always been a community activist. He's always been passionate about helping his community, yet he would not help the black people of Chicago, well, even as president. Well, there are a lot of things that he, he did, didn't he do. Did, he did focus on. There you are know, a lot his of things last, he did focus His last on. two years, he spent way too much time on a golf course. I he, think that he, was a big he problem. Did a, there were a lot of good things that he did. But anyway, going back to my quotes. Okay. To bring about change, you must not be afraid to take the first step. We will fail when we fail to try. Rosa Parks. I think it's a very good quote. I think it really shows <laughs> Yeah. most politicians are afraid to bring about change. So they won't take the first step. Right. right. But 
Trump wasn't afraid. He had the balls to go forward oh my goodness. and make change. Okay, let, let's not get into this political this debate. Country let's not get into this place. debate. Trump sucks. Let's so, not get well, into no, this debate. We're not getting into a debate. <laughs> I'm just showing how Donald Trump followed the words of Rosa Parks to make this country a better place. I'm so glad he that he's no longer president. A black, a white man, a white businessman was inspired <laughs> by a black woman. To make this country a better place. And we have to remember that. I'm so glad he's no longer president. Anyway, thank you guys <laughs> so much for listening. The thank important you. thing is, is that Trump improved this country beyond uh, measures okay. nah. which have not been done in a nope. hundred years. Nope, nope, nope. Thank nope. God for Trump. Nope, nope, nope. Thank you so much for listening to uh, to the Emotional Looking Glass. I appreciate you guys. Um, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and all sorts of other places. Um, I no longer do the Patreon, so just support the channel and take a look at all of the links in the show notes. Bye-bye! And we hope to have more episodes soon. Yes.